Today's guest is Jane Kennard, and Jane is an anxiety coach. I found Jane because I read an article she wrote called How to Stop Worrying When You Feel Stuck. I thought it would be a great opportunity to have her join me and talk about why we worry so much and how anxiety can create such a lower quality life, really, and how we don't even realize sometimes when we're anxious and we get so caught up in it. And a lot of times, the majority of the times, if you're a real worrier, you learned it from somebody. And Jane is a perfect example. She is somebody who's lived a lot of years, like most of my guests. And because we have this wisdom from so many years, uh, we can share based on our lived experiences and what we've learned as a result, how to help other people who might be going through something similar. And Jane is an example of somebody who went inside and learned what was causing anxiety and how to reduce her anxiety, how to get a handle on her anxiety. And as she'll talk about, she didn't even realize this was an issue for most of her life. But then when we dug into her background and her mother, it all became very clear. And she shares that experience. She also shares what I think will help you whenever you get into anxious moments, because we all get anxious. I mean, if you're a mom like me, even with adult children, even more so with adult children, because you worry about your adult children, maybe in a different way than when they were kids, but you also worry about your grandkids now. And so we have tools or we can use these tools. They're very simple that Jane shares. She shares these three steps to reducing anxiety. And of course, the first step is recognizing you have it. But then once you recognize how you can reduce it and overcome it, and it's just getting these, this awareness about these and then utilizing them. Because sometimes when we get anxious, some people, they identify, it helps them create a shield in some ways to the things that they actually need to get to the bottom of. And we don't want to shield what we need to get to the bottom of. We want to uncover it and use these tools to get to the root of it and then have the wisdom that we don't stay in that stuck place. It's not fun to be in a stuck place. And Jane is, I think, one of the best people to walk us through how this can happen and how to use tools to make you feel happier and ultimately have a higher quality of life. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Jane Kennard. 
Hi, I'm Lori Wright, also known as Not Your Average Grandma. I created this podcast as a place for women in their second half of life to go to to receive inspiration. If you are at a place where you believe your best days are behind you, it is my hope one of these episodes will spark you to think differently and lead you to a new belief that your second half may actually be your best half. I want you to stop seeing your age as a limitation and start seeing it as your superpower. You have years of experience and value that the younger you never had. So it's time to lean into that and use it to fuel your future. No more letting age or circumstances hold you back from the pursuit of a more fulfilling and fun life. The happier we are, the better the world will be. So instead of settling for what you don't want, how about going after what you do want? Listen in and let something you hear prompt you to take the first step in making the rest your best. Welcome to the program, Jane. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. And I love that you did this later in life. Exactly. Such a great example of how we can learn new things and our life experiences actually give us the wisdom to help other people. Yes, because my prior life before retirement was filled with anxiety. I was anxious about so many things. I learned it well from my mother, actually. She was was a warrior. Yes, I just absorbed that. She modeled it. Yeah, you know, she sure did. She would get up at night and have warm milk with honey in it. So that was one of her coping mechanisms when she couldn't sleep. Did she ever realize or learn how to turn it off? I don't think so. She was anxious as long as I can remember. Mm. She was a faithful homemaker and wife and did volunteer work, but she just lived with a lot of it. Even when I came home from college, I could sense it in her. Anxiety is caused by many different things, right? So what do you suppose led her? She probably had it modeled for her, but what do you think in her life made her go there? Probably some of the same things that cause anxiety in myself and in other people. And those would be like expectations, worrying about relationship, her family members, my brothers, relatives, things that she was asked to do in in her church life and in her social life. All those kinds of things prompted anxiety within her. She had a lot of imagining things that might happen. And that's so true for myself and other people who have anxiety. Yeah. So I just think she lived with that her whole life. To me, when, when you were talked about other people uh-huh. as moms, I think we worry about our kids a lot, but it's the external that we have no control over, right? Yes and no, because we do have some control over our environment, let's say, how we live in our houses, maybe we have an office, maybe we have a bedroom. It it could be an external environment. And let me apply this also to our inner environment, our inner life, which has a lot to do with how we manage life and cope with our anxiety. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of givens, but then we can also make our physical surroundings 
more pleasing or things that help us feel calmer, let's say. Yes. Good point. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was actually more referring to the behavior. I should have been more clear, okay. like the behavior of other people. And I think moms get into that, especially with adult children. Oh, exactly. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. Yes. I think the anxiety or the worry almost increases when you have adult children because they're certainly making their own decisions. And we often stay or get into this fix-it mode, which we did when they were younger, right? We could kind of orchestrate their lives and their comings and goings and what they ate and what they got involved in. But as they get older and they launch out and begin to do their own thing, we're like, what's that about? And we'd like to just come alongside them and give them a few pieces of advice. But instead, what do we do? We worry or we overfunction and really get into their lives too much mm. and try to analyze and fix whatever's wrong there, just maybe so that we have less anxiety. Let's talk about you specifically, because you actually became an expert in anxiety and became a coach. And this was not something that you did for most of your life. And you are now, if you're okay with me saying your age. Sure. 73. So just a few short years ago, and I love examples like you because there's no stopping you from learning something new and delving into something that is a brand new field for you and something that will be of service to other people, which I think is fantastic because I think that's where we find such value. Yeah. Yes. I've always been a learner. And I love to learn, I love to explore, and not only in travel, but in my inner world and intellectually. Just a little bit of a backstory about what I did and who I am now. I became a university professor. I have a PhD, and I taught for about 20 years in religious education. And I spent 15 years as an associate pastor as well, kind of in between those two. I was at two different colleges and thrived on it because I love young adults. They're at a wonderful stage of life and being a part of their lives and teaching them some things that hopefully would help them in their vocational life was just awesome leading trips with them and just living life with them on campus was just very invigorating and inspiring. So then I retired in 2017. So it's been a while. And so what am I going to do now? I was not a a person who was going to sit on the bench, you might say, because I am that kind of a learner. So that was a big search. And tell me what led to you deciding to retire. Was it just, I'm done with this. I don't like this anymore. I, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of reasons people retire. Okay. Good question. I was sort of at the age, I think I was about 67. And while I love the students and the campus climate and atmosphere, the deadlines, the daily deadlines of lesson plans committee work, all of that just started to be enough 
and I wanted something else. I, I needed some rest, we can say, but I needed a new challenge. So it was just like those doggone deadlines that, although you have all your lesson plans right from years before, but you pick a new textbook and there you are all over again, planning a syllabus and uh, new students, different students every semester. Yeah, I love that. I can see how that uh, would be repetitious. I mean, the students bring a different element because they're going to, you know, they're always a new group. But I would imagine for somebody who needs a challenge that over time would become boring. Yes and no. (laughs) There was some sameness to it. You're right. But it was always new. I mean, it's not like I'm pulling out the binder and repeating the same lesson plan. I'm always thinking through, adapting in terms of the group that's in front of me for each course. And so that's- And as you learn new things, you bring it into your teachings, I'm sure. Yeah. You go to conferences and stuff and you read books and you learn new things. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So you were looking for a new challenge. You got tired of the- I call it because I've been in the corporate world, the corporate crap, you know, that you have to deal (laughs) with the projects that you just don't want to do. You just want to do the fun stuff. (laughs) There you go. Exactly. Yes. Campus committees or projects or you're right. It just got a bit too much. And I wanted a chance to maybe travel more and do something else. Are you married? People are always interested in you're married and you have how many children? I have one daughter whom we adopted from Central America, and we have two grandsons. Oh, and how old was she? Was she an infant when you adopted her? She was just turning four. Wow. Yes, we went to uh, Central America and picked her up, as you might say. Yeah, that's amazing. That that was a whole adventure in itself. I bet. Because she spoke Spanish, and we did a lot of sign language, and my husband learned some Spanish uh, to sort of get along at the beginning. And where do you live? I live in Texas on, what would you call this, a suburb or a town connected to Dallas? The, okay. The Metroplex, okay. as they, I'm learning. We've only been here eight months. So oh. this is a brand new environment for us. We lived in Ohio for 23 years. Wow. And what took you to Texas? Family grandchildren my daughter and her husband got a job down here and we stayed in Ohio for about three years after they made the transition and it took us quite a while to figure this out is this because it was such a huge change for me because I'm originally a Canadian Mm. and Canada is still very much my heartbeat in many ways going south was like what was I thinking (laughs) it is so different than the midwest or the prairies in Canada where I grew up but I love it it's just another challenge there you go another life experiment right yes I'll have to admit the first two months were pretty pretty awful for me talk about anxiety and feeling like I've been thrown for a loop because my identity had been as a teacher. It sort of came even more to the forefront as I made the move, like, who am I now? I I was well known in that campus community, although I had been retired for a while. I did a, a whole bunch of volunteer work 
in my church. So it was a real change in social circles. And I just felt high and dry and was really in a fog. And one thing I would say to your listeners is it's okay to be in a fog when you're anxious and making a big change or something happens in your life that just brings craziness and chaotic thoughts into your mind. So tell me about if you are saying I was anxious, you described a fog. Yes. So that's like your brain's not firing on all cylinders, clearly. What other symptoms of anxiety are there? I can feel it in my gut. It transfers from my anxious thoughts to my body in whatever way. I think some people feel it in their shoulders, mm. maybe a headache. Don't um, some people, they're so in the fog that they're not even recognizing the feeling yeah. and it's when you so. have to stop and think how am I feeling and tune into that before yeah. you start recognizing that right yeah this is true and it takes some let's say being very aware and paying attention to one's inner self we're so tuned to our external environment that's the world we typically live in is just the externals but what does it mean to pay attention to my inner life, my thoughts, my feelings? And do I ever stop and say, okay, what's going on? <laughs> what's happening with me? Mm -hmm. Maybe it means simply more sleep, maybe better nutrition. But often these chaotic thoughts prompt us to, to be more aware and sort of wake up and say, what really is going on here? And it's more inside than outside, really, the way we take care of our anxiety or what's going on with our chaos. So our chaos sometimes exhibits itself in busyness, more busyness, and we keep on ignoring it, or we do more things, we find it hard to say no, which is still a challenge for me at times. I'm in such a new environment here I'm not as involved as I was. And that was another piece. Oh, everything's changed. <laughs> we can be people pleasers. Like, who needs me now? So I'm working on that as well. And it's crazy how even that can start anxiety. You mentioned identity, how you had such an identity with who you were as a professor and right. pastor. And so what comes to mind for me is if you're feeling anxious if you're in this fog as you're making this transition into retirement, I would think it would create a lot of anxiety if you didn't know who you were anymore. This is true. Yeah. So becoming a life coach or an anxiety coach was a gift to me. It really filled that challenge, that learning challenge, that serving attitude or who I am is service. That's part of my personality and who I am. And there was a while when I, on this search, like it was a real puzzle to me. I could not figure it out, but with help, I began to narrow it down. And I'll tell you what, having been a teacher and a pastor, those two have just come together beautifully. Sure. All and that being, uh, lived life exactly. learning and experience exactly. yeah and i've had a lot of personal therapy and i've always been a reflective kind of giving my inner life 
a lot of attention. I've been a journalist in the past and those sort of things. So all of that has come together so beautifully in being an anxiety coach. My own journey of anxiety, even when I was a professor or a pastor, I was worrying about what do people think? How's this project going to go? How's this event going to go? How are my students going to perceive me? What's going to happen in class today? All of that kind of thing was just overwhelming at times. Over the years, I gained more confidence in who I was as a teacher and a pastor, but that that took a while. It's so interesting that you evolved more when you transitioned into being a coach because you were learning about the things that were causing you anxiety in your past and probably the connection to your mom. Yes, that too, that too. And in my training, I had to make a three-dimensional, actually it's there on my shelf, (laughs) but the fears I had, for instance, as a kid going down the basement to get potatoes out of the cellar that my mom wanted me to get for dinner and that dark place became a metaphor for some places in my own life, the darkness of anxiety and because our anxiety comes from our thinking, right? And so our thoughts, our dark thoughts, our negative thoughts prompt our feelings. That's kind of the sequence that I work with. What's going on in our thought life? That prompts feelings. And lo and behold, that affects what we do, our behavior. Yeah. So that that's it's all critical. connected. Yes, to figure that all out. I had one of those sellers too, and I bet. Somebody who's listening had a seller like that too. That's a good metaphor. It's such a metaphor for what happens within us. Yeah. You know, losses, disappointments can take us down to the seller quite often. And it's a matter of what strategies and tools do we have to pull up our bootstraps, you might say and work with more positive thoughts. Now, to me, it depends on what these losses are. Is it a death in the family of someone close to you? There's some real difficult stuff, emotions that happen with all of that. But there is hope to move through that. It's a matter of what the situation is and how long we stay there at the bottom, so to speak. Do you think some people, we we were talking about identity with your job, Do you think some people use their anxious behavior as a sort of identity that they wear because it it can get them attention? That too. Yes. Mm -hmm. You get so absorbed. It becomes who you are. I didn't know there was life without a lot of anxiety. Mm. I thought that's just the way life was because that's what I lived in. And that's what I absorbed. And that's how I, it was just that way. And it reminds me of abusive because I've talked to people who've been abused and that they don't, they didn't know that wasn't normal. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah. That's sort of what I was with anxiety Mm -hmm. and through getting help and support and learning, it began to dawn on me. Oh, you know what? I don't have to be this anxious about so many things. It's not that things don't come up in my life that prompt some anxiousness, but I'm able to be more aware and 
sort of catch it mm -hmm. and then use some strategies. It might even be taking a walk in nature, but I have tools in my toolkit that help me work with myself and to reframe the thoughts is one thing that I can do and others can do. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's the first step in the article that I wrote. The first step is what are the fears underlying my anxiety? In other uh, words, recognizing you're having an anxious thought and, yes. and then asking yourself, what you could, what am I afraid of in this moment? Yeah. Okay. We're, and that awareness or that dawning of what's going on here may take a while. It may come later in the day or a few days later. But yeah, it's dealing with our fears foundationally. What am I afraid of? Am I afraid of what people will think? Am I afraid of this conflict? What's anger going to do to me? What's going to happen in this situation? Even fears about having an accident in the car or things like that. What triggers this? I can point to my mother and I just absorb that's how you live with anxiety. And nobody close to me was able to explain that or help me think through it. I grew up in a conservative German type home. And so there was very little conversation about feelings. You just made it on your own. I think that's one reason why I became a very reflective person to deal with my own stuff. And then awareness grew as I became a teenager. And in young adulthood, it really opened up. And I really began to do a lot of reading and thinking about what was going on. Uh, yeah, I bet there was something inside of you that wanted you to help young people not go through and to help break the patterns that yes. you, you knew that they would repeat these patterns. And you yeah. had this insight based on your own life. You know, those insights came mostly after retirement. When I really began to deal with who do I want to be? And that's a tool in itself. If my thoughts are such that I'm getting really upset and angry, if I can be aware and stop and say, okay, who do I really want to be in this moment with this person or in this situation? Or is it worth it getting all upset in this situation? That can be very helpful, but it was after retirement in the last six, maybe seven years with a lot of help and support, I began to learn that I didn't have to be so anxious. And it was in this fog after retirement that I just had to be patient with that and let life be my teacher and walk through the fog, journey with it, and just with open hands, you might say, kind of hold it lightly. Who am I going to be now? What's going on here? I love that you said patience. That's for sure. Because we're an instant fix society. There you go. And mm -hmm. it's so hard for people who've been busy to yes, be patient. A, yes, yeah. yes. And but, know something's wrong and not really know how to fix it, but then take action when you don't really need to take action. You need to just be patient with your thoughts. You and, just and, need to let it be. Yeah, yeah, let it be. Let I love it, that. Let it cook, you might say. I get thoughts early in the morning when I'm getting ready for the day, or things just pop into my mind along the way. But I tend to be a contemplative 
reflective person as it is. So I'm kind of geared that way. But mm -hmm. even if we're not, we can build the awareness of thoughts and then our subsequent feelings and how that's resulting in our behavior. I might be so anxious about going to this social event. I have such negative thoughts about it. They're going to look at me. Do I look nicely enough? What am I going to say? But, you know, all that whole thing. And so I might just stay at home. I don't want to even go there and face some of those anxieties. So that's an example of how it affects our behavior. Yeah. It's funny you use the example of waking up in the morning because I had a coaching call last night and we're going through this exercise. I'm going through this exercise right now with my students and I want them to come up with a, a list of 50, I call them wishes. So their wishes, like just wish, whatever, unlimited, you have okay. all the money, you have all the, you don't have no restraints, nothing uh -huh. is, is keeping you, holding you back. So come up with 50 things. And so many of us, we put limits around things. And so we don't wish at a deep level, but ultimately we try to whittle it down. And then you pick something to set as a goal. One of the women said she had this amazing idea. She had this amazing, oh my gosh, I would love to do that. And of course she says, I don't think it's possible, but, and she's already putting like restraints. Yeah, yeah. Then when she started to explain it, she just lit up about how excited she was about it. And she already started to think about how she could make it happen, which was great. But I asked her when she thought of it, because that is so important to know when you got the thought. And she said, when wow. I first woke up in the morning. Yes. Maybe and we I... get up in the morning to an alarm and jump out of bed and yeah. we get in the, sh you know, it's, we're so programmed mm -hmm. to not be patient, to not be quiet, to not just sit and listen to what's exactly. coming up. Yeah. Pay attention. Yes. If we can develop the skill to pay more attention to our thoughts and the idea of, do I want to keep that thought or where is it coming from? That's kind of the fear factor or the expectations or what came to my mind as you were talking about that woman in your class was that she couldn't possibly do it, that's what we could call a limiting belief. Yes. It's part of the distorted thinking that we all live with, like yes. assumptions, interpretations, limiting beliefs. And then we've got our gremlins or our inner critic that comes along and tells us all kinds of negative messages. You mentioned three steps and we okay. only talked about one. Okay. So the first one was about the fear. You know, what's triggering me? What are the fears that are keeping me awake? Those kind of things. And that could be a challenging journey. That could get maybe even a little painful at times. But I'll tell you what, it's sure worth it. It's worth it to confront those and deal with them and just put them down in black and white. Just name them, label them. What are these fears? Yeah. And I, what I will yeah. say about that, because you and I speak the same language, but what I will say about what is underlying your fears is those limiting beliefs. So well, once sure. you start to identify those fears, you'll start to uncover what's at the root. Right. The fears are the branches <laughs> and you've got to go okay. dig into the roots of That's like, right. okay, what's causing them? What's causing this That's thought true. of fear? And it's, something that you yeah. believe that isn't true. I like to call it your, it's your own fake news in your head. Oh, I love that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so we tend to resist that, right? 
So what we resist persists. Yes. So we live in that world. And sometimes it takes some doing to really get to the place where we can be open enough to look at ourselves and have enough awareness to, to work into that. And then when we've sort of figured out where our fears are, where it's all coming from, then we can start using some tools. We can learn to reframe, turn the negative into positive mm -hmm. and start practicing. I'll tell you what, it doesn't happen overnight. I'm still practicing things in my daily life as things come up, yep. but it makes a world of difference to reframe, think differently, do things to get us out in nature, to just even focus on something. I've heard that even doing a video game of some type on your phone, if you focus on that, it blots out other anxious thoughts. So mm -hmm. ways that we can focus. Or it, it neutralizes yes. your brain. Yeah. Yes. There you go. It's better to be neutral, right? Often than negative, to take yourself to a neutral place. We can often sort of reason it out logically to help us calm down, to tone down the anxiety and the chaotic thoughts. We can do that kind of thing, but there's always, it seems, at least in my experience, that remnant of emotional anxiety, worry, overwhelm mm -hmm. that I need to work with before I'm free of that and can move forward, let's say. Okay, so step one is identify your fears, and step two is reframe your negative thoughts into either neutral or positive. And keep practicing. And keep practicing. And get yeah. the tools. And I will say that fear is not neutral or positive. It is always <laughs> going to be negative because yeah. fear is always going to hold you back and keep you stuck. And Which, then step three, what's step three? Yeah, to keep this going, what we've learned... Uh, and the practicing we've done, we just need to develop a, a plan for ourselves. We yes. know ourselves. All right. So we need to develop some patterns, some habits of thinking. And in our daily lives, maybe it's as, as simple as the walking or drinking more water. I think drinking more water helps us get less foggy yeah. in some ways. And it's easy. Yeah, <laughs> I think sometimes when you say plan, people think, oh, my God, I'm going to change. You know, if they're not a planner, it can be right. overwhelming in itself. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that's true. But why not pinpoint a couple of things that, so to speak, work for me, whether it's calling a friend or some reframing. We've mentioned that quite a few times doing some strategies and having them in my head and even putting them on my mirror perhaps or till I can develop the pattern or the habit of stopping myself, catching myself in these negative thoughts. And I still don't catch myself perfectly every time I have a negative thought. That's yeah, because sure. we like to sit in them, don't we? Oh, for sure. Let, it, let's it just stir ourselves deeper into it. Yes. yes. Yeah. Another strategy that can be used is becoming more of an observer. Pretend you're sitting on the curb and watching your life go by or the people that you're concerned about go by. Just get some objectivity about it. And, or just uh, ask yourself, how's this working for me? 
Exactly. We say, how's that working for you to other people? We're yeah. more than willing to offer advice. Yes. But do we ever we, say, how's that working for me? We kind of do it to ourselves, right? Yeah. Yes, for sure. So having some kind of a mental or even writing it down, I'm one for writing some things down in black and white. I provide affirmations for my clients that they can repeat that helps do some of that reframing and it's more positive because as I said at the beginning, I learned that I don't have to be in chaos in my head all the time. Yeah. I One can thing... really tone it down. That was mm -hmm. such a revelation to me. Yeah. One thing that I'm gathering from this plan that you're talking about is to basically have a, it's not like, oh, set a goal and do all these things. It's have a plan for what you're going to do when you have a, a worry or exactly. you're in a stress-filled moment. Exactly. So you have that confidence and reinsurance in yourself. And as a coach, I walk with people through that, reframing, thinking through what's going on in their life and applying some strategies and having them practice it. And then we come back, okay, how did that work? Maybe try this or, again, it often depends on what the situation is, mm -hmm. but it can be uh, reassuring to have practiced those with someone's support and then move forward on your own. Yeah, and it's like a pattern interrupt. It's yeah, like it's, learn how to do something and have right. tools to get yourself out of it as quickly as possible. Yeah. So and that's to build, great. And to build awareness. Right. Yes, yes. Yes. It all starts with own awareness. Yeah. I wanted to say this because when we were talking about it, it came up for me because we're talking about having insight. Like I feel that those kids in college were put uh -huh. in your life. You were attracted to them yes. because I think you recognize if only I had somebody in my life that could have helped me. And even though you didn't have insight in your own life yet, I think it was something at a soul deep level that was calling you. And then oh, later you got mm -hmm. your own insight, which I think is so super valuable oh, because yes. someone out there who's listening might think I have yes. not had this insight, but you got it and anyone can get it and it can come a lot yeah, later. I yeah. think you're right. Yeah. We mentioned patience before. But to trust the process of how what's in you will figure this out. And yes. I needed a lot of support from others to make that transition and help me be patient and to do some research and listening to myself and thinking about my experiences. But yes, those students mm -hmm. really pushed me in some ways to get in touch with what's inside. I already was a inner world type person. Yeah. And being a pastor is very challenging as well. All those relationships can get pretty complicated, mm -hmm. uh, but you are about extending grace and compassion and understanding and helping people along. There's, there's the practical, but then there's also very much the, the relational thing. And both of those vocations of being a teacher and a pastor and that's a wonderful blend that I still work with in being an anxiety coach and it seems like it's interesting I had some college students at the very beginning of my practice as an anxiety coach work with me 
And since then, it seems to be middle-aged or older women who are facing retirement themselves, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with adult children. <clears throat> I we- found that for me, because I work with women over 50, people want to work with people that are someone that they can emulate or somebody that has experience that can help them navigate what they're going through. Exactly. And even though you can help college students, a college student would find you less relatable than somebody who's 10 years younger than you and is, exactly. is going through what you exactly. went through. And that's a good more reason recently. to retire. Yeah. yeah. So. And I think the other thing is when you get this later in life insight, it gives you not only insight in where to go forward, mm-hmm. but it gives you insight in looking back about the path you've walked because the path you walked, whether you have an opinion that it's good or bad, it led you to where you are now and you picked it for some reason that has something to do with things that happened before you were aware of what things happened. And so oh, I, I love that you were led and you were very into your inner growth, yes, but we're I still figuring already. it out. Yeah. Yes. It's you know, really a perfect was. example. So yeah. It, yeah. And to build the confidence that what I've learned through my inner life all these years and with help have nurtured, continue to nurture that is just so awesome. And in some days I can't believe it that what I kept inside can now come out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, everything you did lends itself to a perfect coach because an educator continuing to learn everything you do with your clients, you're going to continue to learn and learn new tools that can help them and learn. It's just, it's great. And then at the pastor work that you do, that's, essentially coaching and just in a different <laughs> modality, right? Yes, in a way it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I've been amazed as I think about it, how this all got orchestrated into being a life coach and to picking the niche, you might say, of anxiety, yeah. which was a real transformation for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the anxiety transformation led to a transformation of vocation and just brought those two together so beautifully. I'm very grateful and blessed. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, they try one thing because they think, oh, this is what I like. But then they, upon further reflection, and I'm thinking about a particular person, she's somebody who's very fashionable as an older person. She's very fashionable. She's what I would call sexy as an older person. I am not sexy as an older person. I do not qualify (laughs) as sexy, but she wears a hat. And she's always, you know, got her boots on and she became a coach. She did this program. It was like fit and fabulous or something like that. But it was all about how to be more attractive and more sexy as you age, which she is and she was. And there's some people who want that. But here I am in my teacher blazer. (laughs) Yeah. But what she is, is she is a CPA. You look at her, you never think she's a CPA. She's not that CPA look. And she has pivoted her coaching business. And guess what her background was? Her background was she became a widow, very young age, a single mom. She was on food stamps and she went back to school. I think she got loans, whatever she did. She scrapped, she made it happen. And then she became this really successful accountant and CPA. Wow. And 
now she's happily married and she's fit and fabulous, right? But yes. if you think about it, now how is she helping people? Same way. Her yeah. origin story. Yes. And she never thought of what she did as a CPA that she could help people because she thought, oh, what people really need is they need to feel good. They need to feel fit and fabulous. But all of her wisdom is in her bootstrapping and scrapping and figuring it out and becoming an okay. expert in that field. Got it. And if they want to be fit and fabulous along with that, then they're great. <laughs> she can have it be finance fit and fabulous. Yes, yes. But for anybody who's listening, I love Jane's story because she is going back to her origin, as we talked about in the beginning with your mom. And there are seedlings of insight when you uncover that. And I think that's beautiful. So let me end with a question. What advice, and I think you've reflected on this, but what advice would you give your younger self? I spent some time thinking about that. For one thing, I would say to myself, spend more time being aware of your physical well-being. Exercise more. Get out in nature more. So that piece I sort of neglected until I, well, and when I finished my dissertation for my PhD, I was like, okay, got to do something. So I began exercising and that has stayed with me. Oh, that started in 2002. So the exercise piece has stayed with me since then. And so I late forties or early fifties, you started exercising. That's right. Okay. That's wow. Right. I never, my family was never into physical exercise and I wasn't, but uh, always enjoyed being out of doors. And it's so important, so important when you get older. So I'm glad, I'm thankful I'm doing it now, going to the gym three days a week and walking and all of that kind of thing. Good. You look healthy. (laughs) Oh, thank you. But I wish I had paid more attention to that stuff when Mm -hmm. I was younger. Mm -hmm. I would, seriously, What came to my mind first was I would tell my younger self not to worry so much, not to get anxious (laughs) about everything and not be such a people pleaser, which I'm still working with. Some of these things just hang on forever and ever, right? That's perfect. We should end on that. (laughs) I would tell my younger self not to worry so much. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds kind of trite, but it's Knowing who I am now, and I reflect on who I was as a college teacher and a pastor, I would definitely say, lighten up. So yeah, there's some things I would keep too. My inner life, being a reflective, internal person, I would keep that. But I I would want to change, shift, make the shift earlier on to more awareness of what was going on with me emotionally and my thought patterns. That yeah. 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 I, I often wish that they would teach that in school. It would be so much more valuable than oh, learning sure. how, learning how to make a skirt that I never yeah. have done as an adult. Nowadays, I think that it's probably the instructions are so easy that in the, with okay. the machines that you can make, you know, it was like I was hand sewing the skirt and home ec. My mother was a, a sewer and that was another source of anxiety, right? You know, rip the seam out and do it differently and all of that. Yeah. And I think that I think about this with my grandmothers. I think of that generation, a sure. lot of them didn't get to do what or explore what they could have done in the world. 
And that's got to have been very frustrating. Yeah. One time my mother said to me, when I was a young adult, she said, you know, Jane, I'm glad you left home and went to the big city of Winnipeg. (laughs) And in other words, I'm, I'm glad you were able to grow up beyond this home and this hometown even though I knew it was hard for her to see us all go I have two older brothers I I know she dealt with quite a bit of anxiety about that as well but that's always stayed with me you're right she kind of saw beyond what our small hometown could give us yeah and then she was thrilled that you got to do what she was never able to do Probably. She developed Alzheimer's. Mm. So that was difficult too at the end. But of course, the the German conservative background would probably not be able to say very often how proud I am of you. (laughs) But yeah, I think she was. Yeah, I'm sure she was. I'm sure she was. Thank you for a beautiful interview, a beautiful conversation. You are a light in the world. And the most important and exciting thing is that you're sparked at age 73. And you're helping other people become sparked through your coaching. I I agree. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Enjoyed it as well. Good. All right. Thank you so much. And we'll see you on the internet. Thank you so much for tuning into the Living Your Spark second half podcast. If you'd like to watch my guest interviews, you can find the video version of this podcast on my Not Your Average Grandma YouTube channel. Also, you can check out what I have going on at the moment by going to my website at notyouraveragegrandma.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook at notyouraveragegrandma. If you like this episode, please mention it to a friend and don't forget to leave a review so I know the topics you like best and can bring you more of that content in upcoming episodes. Last but not least, remember to always listen to that inner voice that will never steer you wrong and make living from the most sparked place possible your biggest priority. When we do that, we make the world a better place.